Of all the teachings we receive, this one is the most important. Nothing belongs to you of what there is, of what you take, you must share. Hi, I'm Mary Birmingham, the host of Nature Magic, a positive voice for nature from Ireland. The podcast was started in lockdown thanks to Zoom to try and spread some positive messages about nature and to connect like-minded people from different locations to have these conversations. From here in the west of Ireland and the rest of this country, westwards across the ocean to the United States and eastwards to the UK, the rest of Europe and beyond. The depth of passion for nature that people have expressed is astounding and hopefully step by step we will get to a better place draw in more people to care about conservation and live in harmony with plants and creatures that share our home, planet Earth. Early in lockdown, I wrote to David Attenborough. His address is on the internet, so he must get sackloads of post, and asked him if he would be a guest, knowing full well he hasn't time. But it was an opportunity to thank him on behalf of the creatures he has spoken up for in the course of his life's work. I was astounded to receive a handwritten reply. I wanted to share it with you. Dear Mary, thank you for your letter. It is kind of you to invite me to record an interview with you. I hope you will forgive me if I cannot offer to do so. Best wishes, David. What a gentleman. Today we're talking to a local lady, a passionate nature lover, photographer and author, Irene Graham. Irene lives in Canberra and has just published her newest newest book, I Am A Hare, which is available in the gift shop at Borough Nature Sanctuary in Charlie Burns and Kenny's bookshops in Galway, and on her website, thecreativewritersworkshop.com. Irene also runs popular creative writing courses online and on the beautiful Aran Islands. Welcome, Irene Graham. Hi, Irene. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Mary. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here doing nature podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, just to set the scene, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about where you live? I'm nestled in a little bit of the west of Ireland, um, at the foot of the Burren Mountains in Kinvara. And um, very special place. I always feel that the Burren is my back garden. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, it is a very special place. And I know Mullet Moor is very special to you as well, isn't it? So that's it my is, favorite right? place in the world as well. Is it really? I mean, there's just something out of this world about Mullet Moor in terms of the silence. And it's even different to the silence. I mean, I live in silence in, in where I live in Kinvara. But the silence on Mullet Moor Mountain is very, very special. You just feel it really penetrating and going going deep into your soul. Absolutely, I um, I do feel it as well. Do you want? To, I have described Mullet Moor, I think, on the podcast before, but do you want to give a quick description of it for people who are not familiar with Burren? Right, um, that's a good challenge. Um, just to sort of outline what what is Mullet Moor Mountain? What is Mullet Moor Mountain? I I can't say really what it is in general, but for me. It's a place of extreme beauty. It has incredible flora. Um, the lake at the foot of the mountain um, is always so calm. And just to sit there for even five minutes and breathe in the air refreshes one. Yes. It's a spiritual place, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Um, so Nature Magic is all about giving nature a voice. And the first question I always ask is, how did you become a nature lover? 
Well, I was born in the country, in, in Kildare, and my dog and nature were my friends. Um, my sister and brother, you know, went away to school and I was left at home. So, you know, I used to roam the fields at the back of our house with Shep, my dog, and I just became in tune with nature, examining weeds and um, everything that grew there. Um, but I suppose mainly I learned about nature from my dad, who was totally absorbed in the natural world. He was never on an airplane, lived on the top of a mountain, and nature was his life. He knew every animal, every tree in detail. Um, I remember one time when he was hospitalised in Kildare, his bed was by a window and he, there was a lake outside the window and there were swans on the lake. And so every day he would tell me stories of swans, um, who they, you know, what they were about and um, how they lived their lives. Um, and I suppose um, blackberries and mushroom picking were highlights of my year. And I used to bale hay um, and got paid for that, for baling the hay, for stacking the bales in the summertime. Oh, bonus. And, bonus, you got paid. <laughs> I got paid. I don't know how much I was paid. I'm sure it wasn't very much, but it was a big highlight in my summer year. Yeah, and what lovely memories. Yeah, and uh, the garden feeds me. You know, my partner and I are huge into gardening. We spend a few hours as much as we can every day in the garden. Yes, it really is, it really is a soul, a soul um, activity, isn't it? A soul feeding activity. Did you grow up on a mountain in Kildare then? You said he was on the top of a mountain and he... No, that was in his later life. Okay. Um, no, we didn't grow We didn't grow up on a mountain. Um, we lived in Clane, actually, when I'm prosperous. Um, okay. And, then and what was, what was the mountain he was living on? A mountain up at the top of uh, the back of Rathcool, oh. um, in, near British, just in those mountains there. Uh, which was very isolated and they were there that's where he spent his, his latter days lovely um, just living on a mountain mm. being in touch with nature as i said oh how lovely he sounds like a lovely person um yeah i'm also a nature photographer you know oh. I was, yeah photography was my full-time career for about 10 years of my life until digital came in and i was signed to get images in new york and so I used to incorporate portraits of people in nature. That was really my specialty. Oh, lovely. I'd love to see some of those because Irene now is um, a writer and also we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but runs writing courses in Kivara and on the Aran Islands. So, mm. And you have your background in nature photography. How lovely. What's your favourite plant or animal? Well, my favourite animal would have to be the hare. <laughs> I just, I just love hares. You know, they're an ancient Irish animal, one of the oldest mammals in Ireland. Um, they're um, um, a sacred animal of the Celts. And it was, it's interesting that they're still uh, protected species in Ireland today. That's the wild Irish hare, which is native to Ireland, as opposed to the brown hare, which came from Europe. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the hares are just one of those animals that bring a smile to your face. They make you feel good. And I think the fact that they're so elusive, you know, you can't catch them and they sort of control the reins. And what happened, what really brought them into my life was about March last year, outside our studio window, 
in the rosebed, a hare had just given birth to three little leverets, baby oh. hares, they're called leverets. And it was the most incredible sight, how she, tend, how she cared for them, how she looked after them. And I grabbed my camera, of course, and through the window, I photographed the first 50 minutes of their lives and wow. captured all their and captured all their movements so leverets are born a mobile you know they're able to walk from the moment they're born and they their eyes are open and they have fur unlike rabbits who mm -hmm. are born in burrows you know they're born underground hares are born above ground and they've no fur fur and they can't see so they're in so hares are independent from the moment that they're born and yeah, they're, they're, they're born ready to go and ready to run around. And ready to survive, like. Yeah, yeah. Like we have guinea pigs here at the Burren Nature Sanctuary, and they're born like that as well. I mean, they're shooting around within five minutes of being of being born and all fluffy and lovely looking. So they're not wow. like sort of naked peanuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're usually born in long grasses, and so that's why they're never photographed, because they're really rare images that I've captured. That's so special. And uh, did she take them out and place them around in different places? Because I know that's a behaviour the mother hare does. Um, we, we picked up a little leveret years ago that was under the tractor, very small leveret. Wow. We took it into nice. the house thinking, gosh, we better look after this before we realized what the behavior was, it was the right. most adorable, magical animal. We wanted to keep it so badly. Um, it was just adorable. And then we found out overnight that the mother puts them around in different places for safety and, and comes back. So under the tractor wasn't ideal, but we put it back right. on the tractor. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she didn't, what she did was she left them after 50 minutes. Wow. And they, they immediately ran in under the geraniums, which are also in the rosebed. And she came, what, what happened is that she came back later that night, although we didn't see her, and moved them. And we think she moved them to, you know, with longer sort of scrub grass at one part of the garden. Mm -hmm. And so they stayed around the garden for about three months. Two of them did. Oh. We figured one of them maybe didn't survive. So the, the protocol is, is that the mum comes back once a day for a week to feed them and then they're totally on their own. Wow. Yeah. And so they have a huge mortality rate, probably about 70%. Uh -huh. um, and so, you know, they, we, we watched them growing up, the two of them, and they would, you know, come into the garden. They eat long grasses. They don't eat carrots like rabbits do. Uh -huh. um, and they eat wild herbs. And so what I did was, I mean, I was so intrigued. I am so intrigued by these animals. I decided that I would write, I was compelled to write a story with the images. So I created a children's photo book. Lovely. And it's based on Irish mythology and hair facts and then the photos. There's about 18 images. Uh, it's called I Am a Hare. Oh, fantastic. Mm. And that's published, um, that's just been published, hasn't it? So we'll put um, okay. links in the show notes and everything, but I can't wait to get my hands on it and have a look at it. Uh, thank you. And you can, you can be purchased on my writing website, which is called the Creative Writers Workshop. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah. And so, you know, looking at the hair going back in time in Celtic tradition, the hair is a symbol of the moon being a nocturnal animal 
although mm-hmm. we do see them during the day as well. And they represent rebirth in nature and spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're believed to be the symbol of immortality. And they're also believed, you know, they're looked upon in Celtic mythology and Celtic tradition as a symbol for fertility and abundance. And what, what is really interesting is that the hare can conceive while being pregnant. There's one of the, they're one of the few mammals that can do that. Wow. So they can conceive a second time while being pregnant. Um, and so there's only a few few animals that can do that. I think wallabies are another one, you know, the smaller kangaroo. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very special the, to see a hare um, either crossing the road, which hopefully they don't get run over, but I mean, <laughs> and leaping over stone walls. They can jump mm. any height of a wall, maybe put one foot on it and hop off, but um, athletic and fast and just really magical when you do see one really isn't it it, it yeah. creates like my partner comes back from a walk and he almost says I see a hair I saw a hair this morning you know it's just one of those um things that make make you joyous I suppose yeah and going back going back to ancient times um there was a an ancient German goddess of spring and the dawn and her name Astara was her name and she was always flanked by a hair and the story goes that she turned a bird into a laying egg hair who then laid eggs on her feast day, which was the spring equinox. Mm-hmm. Um, again, which, you know, symbolizes birth and new life. Yeah. And as far as far back as the 17th century, um, people in Northern Europe used to give one another presents of cotton hairs at Easter. Oh. And, yeah. And so the story goes that Pennsylvanian, German, Pennsylvania, Germans from Pennsylvania um, you know, that had emigrated from Germany to Pennsylvania in the States. When they told the story of the hare at Easter, um, Americans turned it into the story of rabbits. Right. Because, because the hares in America are called Jack Rabbit. Yes. The Jack Rabbit in America is actually a hare. And somehow the story got lost in translation and Easter became synonymous with rabbits. Right. Not with, not with hairs. So I think we should give it back to the hairs. <laughs> give it back to the hairs. And the next question I always ask is, do you feel spiritually connected to nature? And I obviously do. Uh, is there any special moment that you'd like to tell us about? Well, I mean, obviously, as we were saying, you know, living on the edge of the burn is very, very special. Um, but I, I, think, I think one of the most you know, moments that I can recall when I think about it um, is I was sitting many years ago on the banks of the Nile on my own and it was sunset and suddenly just the sound of prayer was everywhere filling the Nile. I mean, it was an extraordinary moment and I didn't see any temples, I didn't see any people, but it was just the Nile, the sunset, a beautiful evening and all this sound of prayer, song and prayer um, in unison. And it sounds like there was thousands of people and I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And it felt like amazing. It felt like the air was kind of filled with gratitude or something is the only way I can explain it. So that was a very, very strong moment for me spiritually, I have to say, that I can still recall when I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that now that sounds a beautiful moment. 
and mm. oh yeah, the Nile and everything, a very special place. Trying to support nature and all of these rivers, waterways, biodiversity, the air, everything. What positive actions can you encourage people do to do, you know, simple things that would make a difference for nature? Yeah, and I think it's all about recycling. You know, it's recycle, 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 no matter what what we're doing. And, you know, no matter how we're living our lives, um, I think, you know, small steps make for big events. Mm. And in our own lives, as I said, of our homes, if we just make tiny little changes, can have serious impact. One of the things that we have done for a number of years is to use glass storage jars in the fridge instead uh-huh. of using cling film and tin foil. Uh-huh. And not only does the food look great in the fridge, it keeps it much fresher longer. Um, Good idea. And yeah. yeah, and the amount of um, recycled, not only recycled, but landfill plastic, we're down now to actually having one black bag of recycled plastic every three months. Amazing. Yeah, it's all about consuming less, really. Yeah, and when we go into the supermarket to make a point when we're packing is to take the plastic off the vegetables and leave it in the supermarket. You know, if they were if supermarkets ended up with a pile of plastic, they'd start getting a message, people don't want it. You know, yeah. it's tiny little things. Yeah, no, that's and a then, great tip, actually. And I hadn't thought about that, really. And it's such a visual thing for the supermarkets to see. Yeah. Um, and, you know, put a water filter on our, on your tap. You mm-hmm. know, they don't cost that much. And then buy a reusable bottle and water bottle and uh, fill it from the tap. And that cuts out plastic bottles, buying water and saves a fortune. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And no, those are great, great um, pieces of advice for people and really simple to do. And well, yeah. Irene, is, Irene is a writer, you're an author. Um, and I was going to ask about your favorite nature books. But just before we do that, do you want to talk to people and tell them about what you do with writing and what you've written and your courses and everything? Right. That? I've been writing since I was 15. And when I reached the age of 30, I realized that I had a serious love of writing. Mm-hmm. I emigrated to L.A. and I studied writing in UCLA and I studied fiction writing and writing for children and autobiographical writing and um, screenplay writing. And when I came back to Ireland, I was always interested in education, how people learn and how people think. Primarily, I think, because of my own education. You know, the four, my formative years were filled with creativity. My, you know, secondary school years, it was like someone put me in a cave and put a brick in front of her, a big stone in front of it. And so in LA, I had connected in with people that were really um, looking at new models of learning, right brain, left brain thinking, complementary methods of education. So when I came back to Ireland, I put together a course called the Creative Writers Workshop using right brain, left brain learning techniques to show people how to, you know, develop their creativity and to write fiction. And so the course organically since 1991, I launched it, has grown to what it is today. Um, In 2005, I created a memoir writing course and wrote a book 
um, I decided to commit my techniques to paper and I wrote a book called The Memoir Writing Workbook, Brilliant. which was kindly launched. Yeah, which was kindly launched by President Michael D. Higgins in the National Library of Ireland. Fabulous. And yeah, it was a great evening. And so what I do is I teach people how to write novels and how to write their memoirs. Mm. And and I do it with people. I mean, I'm just honoured with people that land on my desk looking for writing help. I work with people all over the world, and I've been doing that now full time since 2005. Brilliant. And do you, so you have an online course, and you also run workshops. That- run workshops on Inishmore. I've been doing going out to Inishmore for the last 15 years, and we do a week writing retreat. And I have an online course, both in fiction and in memoir. Um, one one website is called the Creative Writers Workshop, and the other website is called the Memoir Writing Club, oh, and which is a twelve week course on how to write your memoir. So I just never ceases to amaze me the stories from people's lives and how they want to. You know, people write their memoirs to leave it for family and friends, and they write it to be published. So yeah, it certainly keeps me busy. Yeah, I think everybody has a story, and that's what. I have found from the podcast as well. Everybody mm. has the most extraordinary stories when, you know, every single person. Um, so have you a favourite? Totally. Yeah. Have you a favourite um, nature book that you'd like to recommend to people? A nature book that's very special to me is a book. It's an old book now. It's called My Heart Soars by Chief Dan George who is a Native American Indian in British Columbia. And he went on to, I mean, he was born in 1890 or something like that. Um, And he went on to become a very well-known figure in TV and film roles. You know, he starred in uh, a movie called Little Big Man. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of those books about wisdom, about the earth and how to live as one with nature and with people. Um, And that's always touched me. I often... You know, the American Indian wisdom, that's what comes across on the page. It's great. Um, yeah, I'd love to. I'm going to, lessons. I'm going to look that up and, and order that because it's, it's another one that sounds extremely intriguing. Um, so thank you. That was a great recommendation. Um, mm. Yes. So if you had a magic wand, this is a tricky one, what would you do for the planet today? I would definitely wave a wand over all our waters. You know, water is the source of life. And I think we're destroying, I don't think we are destroying water, be it the oceans filled with plastic, rivers with pollution, lakes. Um, And I think I'd wave the wand and clean the dirt from all of the, from our environment, from the waters. Oh, thank Um, you. Yes, needs to be done badly. Yeah. You know, it all comes down to water between the drought, you know, between the forest fires that are happening in America at the moment, the storms that are happening even in Ireland here, and the floods, the ice melting. You know, it's all water. It is. We take it so for granted. We do. We do. And even pollution in Ireland, which people have really have their, their head in the sand about, um, you know, we always get these water warnings. Oh, you can't swim. You know, the swim warning mm. because we've had heavy mm. rainfall. Well, 
it's not because we've had heavy rainfall. It's because we have pollution. And, you know, it's broken septic tanks. It's wastewater systems that are being flushed out because they can't deal with the runoff. Um, it's yeah. agriculture that's just going into our water systems. Um, and nobody is even addressing the source. Um, no. You know, you can't swim because there's heavy rainfall. That's yeah, yeah, serious. Nonsense. It's nonsense. nonsense. And also it's so bad for people's health and kids getting into the water and sure. that stuff. So, um, yeah. Devastating. It's pesticides that farmers are using yeah. running into the rivers. I mean, it's, it's really serious. And I don't know, it's just yeah. really serious. It's so that would be my wand. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to talk about it because it's one of the things that people, I think it's one of the overwhelming things. People can't really figure out what to do about it, so they say nothing about it. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for doing that with your wand. Um, so mm. seeing as you're a writer's um, mentor, and I'm sure lots of people listening are writers, maybe, uh, you know, amateur writers, and we have a few couple of professional writers that have been on would you like to give maybe a couple of top tips for people that want to be writers I think one the ultimate tip to writing is learning story if you don't understand how to create a story you'll never write a story and that's just the way it is you know a lot of people have an idea oh, I have a great character, I have a great title, I have a great ending, or whatever great little piece of a story that they have. And they sit down and write. They sit down and start to write. And invariably, 5,000 words later, 20,000 words later, 50,000 words later, they're lost. Mm -hmm. They have gone I off on a tangent. Structure. Yeah, they've gone off on a tangent and they can't find, you know, the, as you say, the structure. It's like getting into a car in Belfast and say I'm going to go drive to Dublin and you drive via Galway you know mm. it's the same thing in, in writing you get lost you go off on a tangent so the most important thing to do is to learn how to create story and then within that you know story has writing a story is like putting a jigsaw together all all genres have various elements that you need to weave together and if you don't know those elements and if you don't weave them together, writing the story is going to become one dimensional on the page and you're mm. going to lose the reader and you're not, you know, you're not, they're not going to read the book. Mm. Um, so. Wow. That's very that, profound advice. And it, when it was so lovely speaking to you, I mean, don't want to, because it's a Sunday, so um, I don't want to take up too much of your day. Um, but we really want to get these stories about nature out. And I think story is one of the ways we can get messages across. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, well, to your book. Thank you. And well done on your wonderful work. You know, the more people like you do make nature magic um, and get the word out, just spread it and spread it and spread it. Hopefully we'll all play our little part in saving the planet bit by bit. Exactly, exactly. And the podcast is fantastic. It is fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've more to go through now and I'm really looking forward to them, but I listened to quite a few of them. Thanks. And just before we finish, Mary, if I could end with a little message that was taken from the book My Heart Stores by Perfect. Chief Dan George. And this is what he wrote. 
Of all the teachings we receive, this one is the most important. Nothing belongs to you of what there is. Of what you take, you must share. Thank you, Irene Graham. Thank you for listening to the Nature Magic podcast. Our Nature Sanctuary has been closed due to COVID-19 contact tracing guidelines for the last two weeks. Luckily, there has been no transmission of the virus and we're in the clear. We reopen on Friday and will be open Fridays to Sundays, hopefully for the rest of 2020. Online booking is open for our socially distanced nature-themed Santa event and we will be running a nature-themed treasure hunt over the Halloween break. Please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and tell your friends. See you in two weeks. Thanks.